Welcome to the BTW Podcast. That's Business Teens Worldwide. In this podcast, we hope to learn more ourselves about the world of business and hopefully teach you a little bit as well. My name is Andrew Bradshaw, and my co-host is Kishore Morley. Today on this episode, we have three segments for you to listen to. First is Would You Buy That? Next is Business School Breakdown. And lastly, we have an awesome interview with a very special guest, Mr. Michael Razor. Super excited for you guys to hear it. Let's get into it. So for our first segment in this episode, we will be starting with Would You Buy That? So this is going to be a uh, segment that we're going to be looking at different products, uh, entrepreneurship products. So for those entrepreneurs out there or aspiring entrepreneurs, you might have an idea or an invention in mind, right? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to take a look at some of the crazy, maybe fun products out there, see what their appeal was, their consumer appeal, and our take on them. So... Want to get started with one, Andrew? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and dude, Kickstarter, Kickstarter is it just a gold mine for these ludicrous products. Yeah, and I, it I turns mean, things into real things, also. Well, honestly, because some of these products you would never think of, but you you, you would be surprised the different ideas out there that have been produced. Which I feel like are the best. You see an item and you're like. I need this, but if I didn't see it, I wouldn't know I needed it. Right, but like, which is like the greatest feeling ever. Yeah, because it comes from like, it's so personal. Like someone, someone had that idea because they had a need for it, so they make it and they share with others. So yeah, I love it. So, um, but you know, nonetheless, some of them are still pretty stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what we're looking at today. All right, so the first one we got found on Kickstarter. It is an iPhone dock. Slash toilet roll dispenser. So it's, yeah, so the, the Wait, base. Wait, is this the same product? Yeah, so <laughs> the base is a, a basic toilet roll dispenser that goes into your wall, just in your bathroom, like a regular toilet roll dispenser, but it's got an iPhone dock on it to play music and stuff like that, like a, like a speaker. Uh, so give me your initial thought on that. Uh, do you jam out while you're <laughs> going to the bathroom? <laughs> No, not personally. So yeah, I don't that's know. This, my thought. this this seems like there's not a big like need for it. Definitely not. I, I can't see it. And that's so important too, right? Like with these um, products, I think need is one of the biggest things yeah. to to attain sales. Because if there's no need for a product, ludicrous or not, it's not going to go off shelves. It's not going to be purchased simply because Dude. it's not necessary. So do we have a price tag on this? Yeah. Uh, this is coming in at a whopping $63. $63. Yeah, so um, a bit pricey, especially for a toilet roll dispenser. I mean, like, think about this. Like, toilet roll dispensers by themselves, like metal ones in, like, a nice furnished bathroom or whatever, those are even, like, $40, like $50. Wait, for real? For metal. So, like, for a qual, and this is a plastic product. See, when, when I first thought of this, I was thinking, like, okay, I'll spend, like, under 10 bucks. Right. Like, like my, find this at the dollar store under the, like, under the aisle that you're shopping for next to your gum, gum and... Right. Like, yeah. it's a novelty item. So, like, my price point would be, like, five bucks for this. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't pay more than that just for, like, a cheap novelty. Um, so, uh, to answer our question, would you buy that? No. Yeah, definitely not. Way too expensive. Especially, I mean, it has no proof of concept. We have no idea the quality on it. But that, with that said, if you're still somewhat intrigued, if you're interested and this is a must-have for you, this can be found on eBay. And uh, so we welcome you to do your own, do your own digging and, and buy yourself an iPhone dock toilet roll dispenser. Nice. Yeah. So take a listen at this one, Andrew. This product is an air umbrella, okay? So okay, basically, I'm, I'm what it, basically what it is, is it's like a you have your handle on an umbrella, right? And then you have that canvas thing on top that's protecting you from the rain. So for this air umbrella, there's no canvas. What happens is the this little handle that you're holding at the top, there's an air dispenser, and it pumps out air 
at a high enough like pressure and velocity to where it stops any rain from coming down on top of you and it sheds it off to the side. So it's an unconventional it, it's like a fan kind of. So so imagine, right? You're you're in the rain and like everyone's looking at you cuz you're walking through and you're holding a pole but you're not getting it wet. And it just looks like you're walking <laughs> through and you're just not getting wet. It's like magic. It's like an invisible umbrella. Oh my gosh. But like, hmm, is it collapsible? Do you know? I don't know. Collapsible meaning is the handle collapsible? Yeah, because like on regular umbrellas, like that's part of the perk is like they're portable. But like you don't want to be carrying some giant clunky like stick around. Yeah, that would definitely play a factor. How much yeah. is it? It's got to be expensive, right? It's a little pricey, hundred and eight dollars. Hundred eight, but like, what would uh, be like an average price for like a good umbrella, though? Uh, you know, I, th- I think it depends where you're getting it from. Uh, average price would be around eighty to hundred twenty bucks. Okay, so that actually falls like kind of in the middle of it. So like, that's not bad. Although, does it work well? Does it work? Uh, it's got to be battery powered, right? Yeah. Also, that's a huge point because what if <laughs> you're walking and it just dies on you? It's like the same idea as an electric car. Like, I mean, it's not the exact same, but if it just you run out of power, there's just nothing you can do. That's tough. Yeah. And that yeah, I, I mean, you. like, I don't think it's worth it for the risk. I mean, like, if I, if a good umbrella is eighty to one hundred twenty dollars, I'd pay that. I'd pay one hundred eight dollars if it works. But there's like. I don't know. There's too many risks. So would you buy that? I wouldn't. No. I because wouldn't. I wouldn't buy it because it's there's no proof of concept yet. Like yeah, it's yeah. still being funded on Kickstarter. It's not even like widely produced yet. So we don't even know. We don't know its battery life. We don't know how how you, like actually successful it is at, at keeping you dry. And that's kind of that's kind of important. You don't want to walk it like going to a business meeting, for example. You can't yeah, yeah. walk in your suit, get soaked in the rain. You know, but I, I I would not buy this, but I love the idea and the direction it's going. Right. Like that futuristic type of feel, yeah. like smartwatches, like 20 years ago. That's the craziest thing ever. Yeah. Right now, this is the craziest thing ever. Who it's knows? Pretty, this it's, is a smart umbrella. It's innovative, though. It's cool. And, like, it'd be, it'd be, like, really cool. Like, you could do a lot of cool stuff with it and, like, get it to automatically shut off when it doesn't detect rain or when it knows the weather is good but i think like portability is key and functionality because for sure you just can't be getting like if there is conventional umbrellas that will keep me dry i will 100 percent choose that yeah simply because it's conventional and it works all right next one i got for you it's called the illuminable toilet nightlight now you may have heard Stop. this one right there what a name though like do you not feel like a product with a good name. That's fair. That's Illumable. a good point. Well, and... Like, nice. You already know what the product's going to be. Or, like, I feel like I know right, what the product's like, going to be. That's a, that's a really good point. Like, with entrepreneurship, product name, like, that's your first marketing. Impression, right? That's your first impression. It's the first way to market to your audience and, and how you get sales. And if they're confused, that's a huge negative. So, yeah, off the bat, it's intriguing, right? Because you're like, oh, this, like... It makes sense to me. Yeah, I might yeah. not understand why I need it yet, but you you have them in. So like I already have you in. Okay, right, so continue. yeah. So to to give you a full description, it's a multicolor nightlight, and it goes under the toilet seat. So let's say like you got a late night bathroom trip at like two a.m. and it's dark and your eyes are half shut because you're half asleep. You don't you know no messes no nothing because. The bowl is literally lit up so much so that it's like target practice at that point. Like you wouldn't like it's it's really sensible, although it seems kind of funny. Like it, it's really sensible because it helps you find your way in a dark bathroom when you're practically asleep. So, so you can't turn on the light switch when you walk in? Yeah, but like, dude, you know when you're like you're half asleep in the middle of the night, you go to the bathroom, you turn on the light switch and it's like... It's blinding. Wait, that is the that is the truest thing. It's you've blinding, ever said. like it hurts. That is so because true, like though. you're and and then if if you turn the light on, like you might not fall asleep quickly. Like it almost like wakes you up. 
yeah, but like yeah. this is like dim and it's like sensitive to your eyes with white light. All right, let's get a other. Let's get a price tag. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so eight to ten dollars, which is super reasonable, and proof of concept is here. So not only was this a great Kickstarter startup, but it's been proven. It's sold nearly anywhere. If you are interested, uh, Walmart, Amazon, Bed Bath and Beyond, like. It has proven itself in its sales and its success, and people continue to buy it, which to me is encouraging. I'm in. Would you buy that? I yeah. would, honestly. Yeah, I'd buy it because, like, why not? It's, yeah, it's cheap enough yeah. for a novelty that if it's crappy, like, it's cool because exactly. it's only $10. That's one. So you get, you get customers already. But then, two, like, I think it's actually useful because, you know, like, Late night bathroom trips, this is something that will prevent you from any disasters. And even for this entrepreneur, like not a bad idea to go out and like license this to toilet companies to start maybe like implementing these lights into their toilets. The amount of money you can make through that. There's a lot of possibilities with it. And simply because it's, and I think that's a huge part of entrepreneurship. It's, it's marketable and it's, it's uh, affordable. Like, That that toilet uh, that uh, the iPhone dock the toilet roll dispenser sixty three dollars it's a novelty but it's not affordable for yeah. a novelty sake like but if it was if if that was under ten dollars I'd buy it for the fun of it yeah. or like I get it as for someone as a gag gift but I'm not I'm not dropping like sixty three dollars just to buy something for fun all right and our final product that we're gonna be looking at today is called Combat Kitchenware oh, wait um, hold up. Like, like, is in like physical combat? No, not necessarily. And like, getting back to our next point, I'm gonna just give you combat kitchenware. Tell me what you think this item is. I don't know. Like, it. You know, like in movies, like a lot of the time you see, like fry pans being used. Yeah. For like hitting someone. Yeah, yeah. So Cartoons. is this is this taking a spin on like utilitarian? weapons and making them look like kitchenware like what yeah wouldn't that be cool uh so let me give you a scoop here so actually these are pans that are just attached to the end of the sword so like the the handle of the pan is is made to look like a sword um why it's a good question uh probably decorative purposes you know why do why do people want red pans and like Okay, flowers so on their pans and ceramic pans. So know? it's not like a practical thing. It's, it's not, not a like, practical. It's not something that's meant for combat. Oh, not at all. See, that's a problem because this that, is this is for everyday mom's kitchenware. <laughs> you have like Linda in the kitchen with her with her swords. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not for combat. Work. Okay, see, but that's confusing to me though because. The first impression that marketing of its name is not—it's—it's it's totally misleading. Maybe, maybe we're missing something because it got forty-six thousand dollars after its Kickstarter campaign. Forty-six thousand. Forty-six thousand. I mean, who wants this? Yeah, I don't even know. We couldn't even find a price on this, so I don't know. Personally, it—it's a great idea, right? Just for the sake of like feeling cool you know while you're cooking it, it probably it doesn't look bad right i guess you could put it in like a man cave or something like that yeah yeah actually yeah but um but it's not practical would you buy it again for a novelty price yes but i'm guessing because this is still wants to be a good product a good pan non-stick it's going to be priced around the same as other pans or maybe even a little bit more for the design factor Right. I wouldn't buy it at that price. No, I don't don't think I would pay it much because, like, it's, again, like, I mean, I know they say it's going, they're they're trying to make it high quality, but if I'm trying to get high quality pans in, like, a nice kitchen or something, like, I wouldn't want that to be distorted by, like, some weird, goofy, medieval decoration. Like, that's just not where I want to decorate my house is with my stoveware, like, so very true and especially too like if if this is still a kickstarter those first few products are going to be so expensive because he's not mass producing yet so he's not getting his cost of production down so good point it's gonna it's definitely gonna exceed a like a high price point just because so like 
sure it'd be fun, but I would I would just prefer to buy uh, a a quality pen that's not like for like for giggles and decoration. So like yeah, would you buy it? No, no, Definitely yeah, me not. neither. Just yeah. like it doesn't make sense, especially like I don't know if you're like a third year old bachelor like living yeah. by yourself, like <laughs> that's cool, but. I don't know. Would a married couple want that like in their house? And then is it dangerous too? Like, is it any more dangerous than a pan? Like a regular pan? I mean, it could be because it has like one of those like uh, near the handle, one of those like yeah. cover guard type yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. that you see on swords. So like, I don't know, just obstruction. Like, why why would you want that extra thing? Yes, like with kids too. Like, I don't know. Looks cool, but... Looks cool. Metal. If you're like a kindergartner first grade and also like i don't want it to be dangerous in my household right yeah looks cool doesn't work well and especially too like it's a kickstarter campaign so if he hasn't made it yet even though he got forty six thousand dollars for his first round of production like if he hasn't made it past that yet there has to be something wrong so no i wouldn't buy it all right our next segment for you guys is called business school breakdown the idea of this segment is to be looking at different business programs of uh, undergraduate universities and to be diving into them to educate ourselves and you guys more on the different opportunities that you have uh, in your undergrad and um, your ability to pursue uh, business education through that. So today, we're going to be highlighting Indiana University Kelly School of Business. You know, and I think this is really going to be one of those more useful uh, segments that we have, um, especially for you juniors, uh, seniors out there, even sophomores who are starting to look at maybe they're interested in the business world. Some of the better schools, and I know Kelly is up there, a very good business school, great professors and facilities. Yeah, and for us being in the Midwest, uh, it's really ideal. We even know a couple people that go there. Today, for you guys, we have some uh, a special guest an extra guest actually and uh, an old friend that will be answering some questions and she right now is actually a junior at IU Kelly so she'll give us some wonderful insight um, and some very personal experience that will be very useful so we're going to be looking uh, and breaking down Kelly today through different programs majors uh, general information too with cost and student to faculty ratios, uh, stuff like that. And then also cool opportunities that uh, students have at IU Kelly. And um, like I said, some personal experience from a student that's there right now. So yeah, let's jump right in. So first, first off, we're going to highlight the programs that IU Kelly has. Um, first things first is that they have two different types of programs. They have their Bloomington degree programs and then their Indianapolis degree programs. So these are actually two different locations uh, where, where you can go ahead and take, take these different programs in the business uh, degree. Um, so both the Bloomington and Indianapolis locations have the regular undergraduate program, which is uh, very good. There's, you can choose from 18 majors um, and enter the job market ready to succeed. Uh, they, they really pride themselves on preparing you to transition from your high school where you're learning about business, and then college is that time where you're transitioning into actually being in the business world. Yeah, and and for me, like, uh, Kelly's always, they've always had a name. They're very reputable for their business education, um, but yet they're still not on a level of, like, elitist. Like, they're not a Harvard or a Princeton that's so selective that you may as well not even try like they're they're a school that is for very smart students and passionate students but it's it's reasonable and affordable too and so they have a lot of cool opportunities but like yeah like we were saying uh 18 majors that's a lot for business and only in the undergraduate um right because they do have a grad program yeah they have a grad they have a grad program a full-time mba program uh an online mba program which i thought was really interesting uh on their website, it says they are the leader in online business education, which personally, I've never, really, I, I don't know how that works, or, um, but I, I would be very interested to see the type of success in online business education. Yeah, right? Like, I don't know, for me, I feel like 
online education wouldn't be my favorite just because I like the the ability to have conversation in a classroom setting. Well, for the business, in the business world, you're talking to people, right? Especially. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, there is a an online portion of, of business. That's a very good point. But uh, it is a it's a people like business is, is people centric and, and, uh, your communication is key. So, um, but I'm sure Kelly handles their online education oh, yeah. very yeah, well. Yeah. Another thing though, with like the 18 majors, you can co-major and, and it's not a rush decision either, which I really like for me. I love to know my options and explore before I rush to make a decision. I don't want to be pressured into a freshman year major choice, but I, I, I agree. I agree. Because um, the majority of students don't know what they want to do when they're going into college. And even the ones that they do, I'd say the majority of those decisions are going to change, right? Right. And for their, for, You don't know how your life is going to turn out at the age of 16, 17. Absolutely. And you don't know the, the different niches. Like, and, th- and that's something that really impressed me with Kelly is that they have a lot of really niche and unique majors that you might not get at other... Um, undergraduate programs or business schools like for example uh, they have a major called sustainable business so the point is integrating sustainability into corporate strategy which to me is super fascinating because that's kind of the direction our world is going is pushing away from a big business big corporate concepts and and pushing into uh, sustainability and environmental friendly and just different methodology. And and right now we're kind of seeing a big shift in business methodology. And so I feel like that would be an awesome major to have because yeah. that I almost agree. like computer science is, is a futuristic major, something that's going to continue to develop. A job that might not be there now, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, so have, like, to, you have to work for those jobs that are going to be created in the next 10, 15 years because those are the ones that are going to be leading the industry then. Right, and so they allow you to think ahead in that way, which I think is is super awesome. And additionally, they're and this is this is what I love is that their their business program is not old business. It, it's it is not set in stone. It's not they're not stuck in in the ways of of big corporate America where you go sit in a cubicle for you know your eight hour day, five day work week. It's it's new and it's innovative. They have a law ethics and decision making major that focuses on the ethical side of business, which I feel like is rarely touched in business school. You know, you might go to law school and they have a full year to dedicate it to ethics of law. But ethics in business is a huge component of sustainability and new business that we're starting to see because especially with media, there's huge outrage over poor ethical choices in big business. Yeah, yeah. And and business leaders are constantly under scrutiny um, yeah. in on all TV programs, CNBC, um, whenever they're talking about a business, you know, I'd say the ratio is overwhelmingly towards pointing out every negative thing that a business does. They made this decision, or why did they do this? Uh, rarely, rarely highlighting the amazing things that they do, and I think that's for two reasons. First of all, they're probably more bad choices um, just because business leaders might not have been educated in the moral uh, dimension. But also, maybe that's just a myth, though, right? Maybe maybe there are just as much good good things, that good choices that these businesses are making, but because people aren't taught in that moral, ethical way, there's no point in even pointing those out, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and then continuing on... Um, two more of their unique majors, public policy analysis. So now now you're not only just taking uh, like uh, basic business or like or fundamental business like finance, uh, but you're you're now starting to incorporate uh, different concepts that always will affect business such as politics that create economic change. I mean, for example, every time a new president is elected, our our economy has a major shift based on their demographic and and who they speak towards and who they get to vote. So being able to get ahead of that, understand um, how politics and how 
news and how world events affect business, the business world, the economy, all of that. Being able to get ahead of that and understand that is super significant. So teaching that as a major to me seems like an incredible opportunity that you wouldn't have in other places simply because you like it's not offered, but it's so it's so key. Um, I completely agree. And like I said earlier, this is all the opportunities in the undergraduate uh, program, right? Those are the majors in the undergraduate program, but they have, like I said earlier, the online program, the full-time MBA. Uh, one thing that really pointed out to me was they have a, this uh, program called the Plus Kelly program, and it is a, it is a, it really helps to um, satisfy those parents who are kind of worried about the transition um, of their kids into college. So they have this four-year uh, undergraduate degree in engineering of the arts and sciences with a master's degree in business. Um, but what they do with it is they pair it up with this plus one year of, of like a summer boot camp to prepare you to enter their full-time or part-time master's degree program. So not only are they are they concerned about how you're going to succeed later on in your life, but they're, they're making sure that you can make that transition, which is really tough for students and sometimes even tougher for parents. And that's just, it's just something and this extra level of thought that they're showing to these families that I don't, that I think really sets them apart from business schools. And yeah, no doubt. Schools. It's, a, it's a holistic approach to not only attracting students, but attracting parents yeah. and the brightest at the same time, which is not something you're going to find everywhere. Um, and, and yeah, so like, to, to me, that's important because you don't want your parents to uh, be frustrated where you are or like, because like, like we, like, well, you'll see, we'll talk, we talk about with Mike Razak later, how significant parents are to a student's educational experience. So when the parents aren't on board, the student suffers tremendously. So being able to market to parents is something that's unique to Kelly, but also very important to I think setting them aside is one of the best uh, business schools out there yeah um, yeah so clearly they have lots of majors lots of programs let's get into some other information yeah yeah the nitty-gritty right like yeah the, uh, the general info that that's all over the website all right let's start getting into some of the nitty-gritty some of the numbers uh, the scores which is it's tough that we have to be thinking about these scores and if we can get into that's just the world we live in today and Something that we touch on with our interview with Mr. Razak later on, but you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, and a side note from that, it's definitely, while unfortunate, it's, it's important to know where you rank in terms of their, their students so that you can uh, set goals and, and try and, and develop yourself so that you are a, a good fit for their program, but yeah, for example, their average ACT score is a 31. So that's their middle 50% and an SAT of a 1440. Um, Which are very, def definitely very uh, prestigious numbers. Yeah, those are competitive numbers. Absolutely. The, and um, acceptance rate of around 37%. So you do have to remember, though, that Kelly, although part of Indiana University, is separated at some point, at some, to some extent, in the admissions process. So you do um, apply for a major to be a part of Kelly. So Kelly's uh, admission, their acceptance rate is lower um, just naturally due to the fact that they are one of the a best. A subset, right? Yeah, exactly. They're, of even a great college in itself, Indiana University. Right, and they're uh, even outranking that. So and additionally, they're in the top 10 um, in undergraduate business programs, according to U.S. News and World Report, which is very impressive when you are compared uh, against Ivy Leagues and schools like Stanford, the big dogs, when you uh, think of colleges and undergraduate programs, those elite schools, they still remain a top 10 candidate for an undergraduate business program while having an acceptance rate that's nearly seven times uh, that of an Ivy. And additionally, I mean, in the in the world we live in, college is expensive. So a hundred percent, yeah, yeah, too expensive, but nothing we can do about it. Right. So that is one downside I'd say about Kelly that they're not 
extremely affordable. And no, um, they're about fifty-two thousand for residents and about as tuition. Yeah, as to as uh, no, as full costs. That's including tuition. Okay, got fees, it. Fees, room and board, books okay. and supplies, transportation, blah blah blah. Got right? it. Um, and then for non-residents, it's upwards of seventy-five k. Yeah, so out of state, they're they're pretty um, average for schools these days with a price like that, especially good schools. Yeah. But they are very supportive of financial need. Of so course. So they, yeah. they're not a school that's going to turn you away because you can't pay that bill because in reality, less, you know, 0.1% of the population really can afford a bill like that. So Kelly has a lot of great scholarship, um, a lot of great scholarships and a lot of great financial aid programs that they're willing to support you because they want to get the best and the brightest to them without having money be a barrier. Yeah, so they have, uh, of course, they give their merit aid. Yeah. Um, and then they have other programs. They have fellowships. They have um, uh, other forms of financial aid, um, need-based aid. Um, they have options for all admitted students, which is something that's interesting plans to uh, to try to compensate right because they still want those best students even if they can't um even if they can't afford it so it's the regular forms like the fafsa um and i think there's there might be another one yeah but like as we said like that is it's it's not going to be a barrier for you Mm -hmm. to which is just something that I respect a lot and also like is very intriguing to me because looking, you know, surfing around for different schools, you see that price tag and it's, it's, it's like, shocking. It's almost, and the worst thing is I've, I've been with some of my friends looking at schools and it's like a turnoff for them. Right. Like, like they're so, they're like, I love this school and then like, let's see how much it costs. And then they're like, dreams are shut down just because of a number. Right. But really doesn't mean anything because you don't know until you're gonna apply no and but uh, exactly and unfortunately like education should not be like that but it is yet kelly does provide to counteract against that um hurtful bill because it definitely shuns away some very bright students um yeah but uh, and i think it's a great time because we have some i mean some information um an old friend of mine, Annalie Radcliffe, um, who's a current junior at IU Kelly, was able to give us a little information, a little um, perspective from a current student that is so valuable. I know for me, being able to talk to students when I'm visiting colleges and, and understand their perspective, their take on the school is one of the most important aspects of that visit just because uh, it's the most relatable, and in that sense, one of the most important. So, uh, yeah, so let's, give, let's, let's, yeah, let's take a listen. Yeah. Hi, my name is Annalie Radcliffe, and I'm currently a junior at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University, studying finance and business analytics and minoring in mathematics. Um, to answer Andrew's first question, talking about my overall experience at Kelly so far, I can only say how amazing it has been in general. Um, I think I walked in knowing I wanted to hit the ground running, knowing that I wanted to make a difference, and I was full of energy after having a really relaxing summer and senior year, and so I wanted to explore everything my freshman year, and I think that's exactly what Kelly allows you to do. It surprised me walking into Indiana University and seeing how vocational it is. I almost walked in, and it's Everything they pound you with is get a job, get a job, get a job. They have a compass class that people have to take every single year, freshman, sophomore, and junior year, um, different level-wise, which teach you skills such as resumes, cover letters, speaking with employees and professionals and how to carry yourself. And I think I also was able to benefit a lot from these soft-scale learning environments as I lived in the business living learning community on um, my freshman year and that's you're surrounded by business students you're um, you're allowed to go to some professional development series that aren't open to other students and it really helped me um, challenge myself by surrounding myself by peers that are also equally excited to get their hit the ground running and also learn about clubs um, sooner than maybe other students wouldn't have as well um, I think that personally benefited me because I am very motivated by um, 
being a little competitive with my peers and seeing where they are and encouraging each other and challenging each other. Um, I think also some of the best experiences that I've had is uh, you're able to explore so many different clubs, whether you go once, twice. I was getting dinner, like free dinner, like three, four times a week my freshman year, just exploring various clubs like the Corporate Strategy Club, the uh, Investment Banking Club, the Finance Diversity Program, um, even Supply Chain and Operational Management Clubs and Accounting Clubs. And from there, I was really able to narrow down what I wanted to do by learning from people who are a couple years older than me or professionals in the industry. And it helped me feel solid and confident in my decision to pursue finance and furthermore pursue investment banking um, further on in my career um, and tenure at Indiana University. Um, I would say that, um, let's see, I would say that it could be overwhelming to some people just because there are so many clubs and I think something that helped me personally was being extremely organized and making sure that you know what you want and being extremely open and wanting to explore everything. And that's something that I really enjoy about Kelly and everything I've seen here is it's very meritocracy based where the work you put in is what you will get out and I really appreciate that. Um, so not only was I able to figure out that I wanted to do finance specifically, I was able to get more involved in those clubs, like find some economic research on the side on my own, join a choir class outside of um, Kelly in general and meet a lot of different people, and um, get an internship in the summer, which I'm really fortunate and excited to go to um, New York this following summer. And I would say this past summer I was actually interning at Ernst & Young in Chicago, and that, I got that through the online Kelly website, um, Career Center, which is one of the most robust career centers in the nation, and they really, it almost surprised me how much they were there for you. They have career coaches that are there for you that you can contact, and they're, and they're honestly underutilized, but they want, they're there specifically to help you get a job, which is really helpful. Um, I would say the quality of education is something that I did notice, which I really appreciate, is that they incorporate, um, they have a lot of prerequisites before you actually start taking your major classes, and it's basic Excel skills, basic accounting skills, marketing knowledge um, that you get through the junior I-Corps, um, communication knowledge, and I think Kelly is very good at building those soft skills that are necessary for students that are, want to enter the business world. Um, and then... I think anything else to add is that, um, yeah, I would just say I think the reasons why my experiences were so positive is because I entered Indiana University with such an open mind and so excited to explore anything and everything. And I think that really helped me um, because especially going to a big school, anything and everything is there. And so it was just me, it was just there for me for the taking. And so I really enjoy that aspect of the business school and um, almost surprised by how much you would be, how much you're rewarded by the work that you put into it. And so I'd say if you're that type of student who would do that, you could also be, you'd be successful. But there's also a huge spectrum of students. And so, um, Something that I'm also grateful for is that there's a lot of different people that you stumble upon, and I would say, like, my friendships and my relationships with students now are so diverse, and I think that has given me a great perspective um, in the world. Okay, thanks to Anna Lee for that. Uh, I think that's a really great perspective to get, especially for kids who are possibly interested in attending IU Kelly, uh, to get her perspective and lots of positives to say, so... Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we are so glad to have a special guest with us today for our first podcast. Um, with us today, we have an administrator and teacher with over 30 years of experience. Uh, he's been a principal at schools, a teacher, and he's currently the president of the Indian Prairie 204 School District School Board. Um, so today we have Mr. Michael Razak with us. How are you today? I'm doing well. Hi, Kishore. Hi, Hello. Andrew. Hello. Um, so our first question for you is, um, most high school students are not really sure what a school board does, how it functions. They might, I mean, I know a lot of people think that you guys just cancel school days if it's snowing a lot or, or you, 
I mean, you're just up there making big decisions. So what does that really mean? Can you uh, explain to us a little bit more what your job entails as a leader of the school board? Sure. So if you would look at a regular business, regular business would have a chief, chief operating officer, and they also might have a board of directors. Mm -hmm. So we serve as the elected board of directors for the community of Indian Prairie School District 204. First of all, we need to be elected by the community. Okay. And then we represent the community and oversee the community and the operations of the school district. So for us, we don't make the decisions like for a snow day. Okay. We employ a superintendent. That's one of the biggest duties of a school board is to employ the staff, primarily the superintendent who then hires their staff. Clearly, board of directors, seven people, don't have the expertise to run a school district of 27,000 people. Yeah. yeah, of course. So you have to hire the people to do that. But we oversee everything that happens in the school district. So what does that mean? It means that we set policies. The administration will recommend teachers to be hired. We approve them. They recommend a school calendar. We approve that. They recommend a budget. We approve that. Every contract. Every business dealing that goes into the school school district, what happens is the experts come back to us, make a recommendation, and we're the kind of the oversight committee for the entire district. And that's important because we're dealing with taxpayer money. Yeah. And see, we, we oversee the taxpayer money okay. and its resources. So as um, if, if you look at the school board like a board of directors, uh, for example, here at the Alive Center, they have their executive board of directors. Um, and usually with not-for-profits like this, they're expected to bring some sort of contribution, um, a monetary contribution plus their expertise in their field of business. Is there any contribution that you or your other board members are expected to bring monetary or um, any specific expertise that each of you has that you are expected to use to support the board or the, the district as a whole? Well, <laughs> what a great question. You have to remember that Indian Prairie School District 204 has a $350 million budget. So wow, whatever... Wow, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not know that. <laughs> so whatever monetary part I could give them yeah. would be pretty minuscule. <laughs> So sure, yeah. <laughs> I hopefully give a level of expertise. And that expertise, you have to be reminded, is determined by the electorate. They determine whether or not I have an expertise that the community thinks would be beneficial to the school district in terms of making decisions. As Kishore said... My expertise was that I was in the education business for over 30 years. And so when educational decisions are made on the board, other board of directors look to me for advice. We also have business people. We have social worker. We have lawyers. All on the board, a great board would be one with many expertises in order to be coordinated and make the best decision for the school. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, so you, it's important to have people with different skills so that when you're facing different types of issues, right, or different types of questions, or you're approving different contracts, some people know a little bit better about and can direct the board, right? Clearly. Okay. When we come to legal decisions, I probably would be the last person you would want to yeah, okay. provide some level of expertise. But we have two lawyers on the board, and yeah. we clearly look to them. Mm. And right. you, your electors, that's the community, right? That's correct. Okay. okay. Got it. 
Good to know. So um, moving on, are you, can you tell us a little bit more about um, state funding as it relates to um, da- the daily process of keeping schools schools running um, and how you relate to that state funding um, and how the board relates to state funding, whether the board is um, the board is the group that is set to bring in state funding, more grants, or if that is delegated to a smaller group of people. So how, how, how do you relate to state funding in that sort of business aspect? Okay, let me answer that in a different way. Okay. And the question for me is, how are schools funded? Right. Yeah. So primarily, in every school district in Illinois, school districts are dependent on the property tax of the community. Right. When your parents are given a property tax, about two-thirds or more of that property tax goes to the school district. Okay, got it. So, number one, property tax is in District 204, and perhaps many of most districts, the most important funding source. Okay. However, there are communities that don't have property wealth. And as a result of that, the state of Illinois subsidizes the property tax in order to provide education to students. Now that makes sense theoretically, but what has happened in the state of Illinois is the state really hasn't taken its responsibility hmm. to fund school districts. So over time, poorer school districts always did much poorer academically because A, they didn't have the property tax base, and two, the state wasn't meeting its responsibilities. Got it. So, so theoretically, the state is supposed to. So, so, are you saying the state matches its amount of funding, like subsidizing, depending on the community and wealth of the community? So, there's a new funding source uh, base now. And schools are evaluated on 28 different sets of criteria. And those 28 sets should equal 100% funding. In the past, there were school districts that were at 120% funding and some that are at 52%. Got it. The school, the state, has just now, um, last year, had this evidence-based funding formula to try to make these districts more equal. But it's going to take about 25 years. Interesting for Indian Prairie District 204 is that Naperville District 203 is perhaps at, well, for sure, over 100% funded. They're about 112 to 115% funded. Wow. Okay, and where does... um... 204 lie on that 80% really so we're underfunded actually yes by right by yes wow I didn't I would have never guessed that to me our district appears as one of them that I would expect to be above funding especially because of the uh, wealth of the local neighborhoods um, compared to the majority of the state so it's very surprising to me that um, we're actually underfunded how much so you said 80% and our budget's what, $350 million? Yes. So um, <laughs> like how much, how much are we missing about like what, and what, what would we do with that? Because to me, we have so many opportunities, so many activities that we can participate in. So where is that money being lost? You know, I don't know the exact number for that, mm-hmm. but probably another $20 million or so. Okay. Uh, and I'm uncertain of the absolute number. Um, let me clarify, though, wh- why the difference is between Naperville 203 and, uh, and Indian Prairie 204. Um, again, it's based on property. 
So in Naperville 203, you have the I-80A corridor. Mm-hmm. Mm. That, those facilities get taxed. You have downtown that gets property taxed. Those yeah. facilities do not send children to schools. Oh, okay. Makes yeah, sense. That makes sense. So there's in a surplus Prairie of property. In Prairie 204, there is much more residential property. Yeah. Who are sending children to school. So though, although Naperville 203 with its 18,000 students, they get fundamentally just a little bit less a property value to be used for schools than Indian Prairie 204, who serves 27,000 students. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that because I would have also expected the property tax only to come from residential property um, for those who are like paying for students to go to school, not just like uh, different landowners or small businesses. I would have never expected them to have to pay towards that high property tax, especially around here for the school district. So as a board of director, you have to remember we're getting elected. Right. So we're not only getting elected by parents. Ah, yes. In the school district, we're getting elected by uh, chambers of commerce. We're getting elected by community members who do not have students. So they want us to represent them also. That's where it becomes a little complex. Yeah. yeah. How, yeah, can, can you give any specific examples of the, the ways or specific approaches and methods that IPSD 204 board is taking to develop students for the, their real world? Um, like, for example, a finance business class that's offered at the school. What, what uh, types of ways are we preparing students to face adversity and continue to strive for better and not perfectionism? That's a great question. And I think many schools get stuck on scores, on grades, on the types of colleges their students go to. Which sounds like what every student gets stuck on as well. Yes. So, right. Uh, yes. The schools and the administration. It's that, it's that stigma around performance and how, like, it just see, it feels mandatory. It's like a weight on our on our backs every day that we have to be the best and compete with everyone instead of developing and, and simply learning as uh, education truly should be. And I'm conflicted by that. It confounds me. Mm-hmm. What did schools do to create that kind of environment versus cr- creating an environment of promoting well-being. And there's difference between this academic success and achievement and well-being, which is being happy Mm -hmm. with who you are as a person. Not only looking at life from an academic sense, but from a personal and social sense. Uh, looking at it in maybe terms of a spiritual sense, looking at it in terms of a financial sense. I think the school district is becoming, and I'm talking the district, the board, and the teachers are at the beginnings of making a shift from just focusing on that score or that academic success to looking at the well-being of the entire student. Look at, uh, there was just an activity called Portrait of a Graduate. It's on the website. Okay. People should look at it. Okay. <laughs> it talks about soft skills. Success is just not based on what your grades are. Are you guys critical thinkers? Are you flexible? Mm -hmm. Are you resilient? 
clearly life is much different now for a teenager than it was for mm -hmm. me. I was yeah. taught pretty hard skills and we used them. Yeah. Because the job would look the same for the next 25 or 30 years. Good luck to you. <laughs> Your job will change every five to six years yeah. if it lasts that long. So just earning a grade is not going to be what a school should do. You need to be flexible. You need to continue to try to learn. You need to be resilient when things change and say, wow, what am I going to do next? So you said that like the board and teachers are starting to try to make an effort to shift, which as students, I feel like, um, and I know you said the beginning stages, but I feel like I, I'm seeing it the opposite way where the, the amount of stress placed on scores in colleges going up with colleges being more selective and, and then the depression rate in teens with, with their anxiety of school is going up and like becoming an epidemic almost. So I see it going one way. So what types of things or what types of action steps are you guys going to try to start doing or, or are already starting to do to try to uh, like tone this down a little bit and get back to the soft skills? Sure, and you're missing an important component. And I kind of will turn it back on you, and I hate to go bad on them, but parents. Yeah, that's a great point, though. You know, we, as policymakers, can begin shifting it, but we're going to have to convince parents, we're going to have to convince the community, we're actually going to have to try to convince students that maybe going to Harvard is not the be-all to end-all. Yeah. That you can be successful in many different ways yeah. without that level of stress. For me, learning, it's very dynamic. And there, for many people, learning a new concept, to me, there's two types of learners. There's probably a lot more. Yeah. There's people who just seek knowledge to seek it. And that's one type of learner. And there's the other person who just kind of says, status quo, I don't want to change. And as a teacher or leader, you have to force change and kind of push people. And there is a bit of conflict, but it's managed conflict yeah. to get people to the next step. So we have to manage this. We have to have a discussion with our community that we don't have to put our students to this level of anxiety. You know, which is a really good point because I think a couple of weeks ago in one of my classes we were talking about like how education, um, parents are a big part of education, right? If education starts and ends when, when you walk in school and when you walk out of school and you're not learning at home, not only doing your homework, right, but learning those manners and soft skills that you're like wasting half of your childhood almost right with which is an sounds very serious but it's a uh, it's like you're only at school for seven hours of the day and you still have six seven hours when you get home and if you're just continuing to do academic studies I mean parents have to be employed as you know daily teachers so right yeah parents are super significant to uh, the learning and development and also like developing uh, the students approach to learning so, but on, on that note, I feel like that's very hard to change. That's a very, like that is a very general and that's taking an approach at the masses. But from your standpoint, how do you elicit that change through your superintendent? So when you're hiring a new superintendent, I know uh, Superintendent Sullivan is retiring after this year. So in that process of finding a new superintendent, what are you looking for in them that, that speaks to you and says, uh, this person will come into our district and they will help us create a new environment centered around learning instead of performance? Great question. 
for me, it's vision and mission. So we're in the midst of hiring a superintendent. We have interviewed several candidates. Those who continue to be serious candidates have what I think are two strength characteristics. One, they have a broad base systemic knowledge of what education is. But more importantly, or as importantly, is they have a vision of where education is going to go in the future. And they have the ability to be relational. Yeah, so finally, um, last question that we plan on asking every guest that we have on the show. If you were to give teens everywhere one piece of advice for pursuing their passions, whether it's business world, it's, it's the business world, or whether it's uh, any, anything, uh, if you were to give them one piece of advice for pursuing their passion, what would it be? Now, it's, this is going to sound pretty simple. But I actually think it's very complex based on our discussion earlier. And that is to be true to your passion. You're going to know what your passion is. Over time, it will come to you. It may change. But the importance of being true to yourself versus all the outside influences that will try to perhaps change you, perhaps tell you that's not what you really want to do, uh, perhaps tell you how are you going to make a living <laughs> because you have a certain passion that perhaps doesn't make the same amount of money mm -hmm. as another profession. I think it's important to be true to yourself. As we were talking about parents and adults, just read a study that students your age, when asked to have an important conversation, perhaps about passion, the tendency is for that young adolescent teenager to share what they think the adult wants to hear and give that answer versus the real deep down answer mm -hmm. that they possess. Which is, no, it's completely Because true. they don't want to disappoint the adult. And might not even be confident like that's the issue of self-confidence right they might be scared to they don't know how other people will react so um, you're so at a point in life where you're developing your own level of independence yes you do have a dependence on teachers and you have a dependence on parents but pretty soon that dependence goes away and you're going to have to be independent yeah, and you're a perfect example of that. I mean, being true to yourself, you said from when you were young, like um, after 10, you knew that education was kind of where you wanted to, to end up and you pursued that passion to the fullest extent and here you are this many years later, still retired, but still actively participating in what you're so passionate about. So be true to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes have that hard discussion Right. with the people who may want to change your passion mm -hmm. or your direction. You have to have the hard discussion so you do what's right for you, not what's right for others. Yeah. yeah. You know, these are a lot of tough questions. We're talking about business, money, you know, what your passions are. So through all of this, I'm sure all our listeners know, right? You're very accomplished, um, you know, all of this experience. <laughs> but what many listeners might not know is that you're a diehard Bears fan. Uh, 
<laughs> season tickets for a long time, right? I've had season tickets since 1982. Wow. And have seen more uh, disappointment <laughs> and not success than I've seen success. Well, again, it's been a real pleasure interviewing you. I'm getting to learn more about yeah. your profession. Thanks passion. for taking me. Yeah, yes, thanks, yeah. Andrew. Thanks, Kishore. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you really enjoyed this episode. Um, if you have any comments or questions for us, they can be directed to our website, thebtwpodcast.com. Um, on our website, you can also find information about our social media links, where else you can listen to our podcast. Finally, we want to give a big thank you to the Live Center, who have supported this podcast and helped us with our studio throughout the whole journey. Um, so with that, we'll see you guys next time on the BTW Podcast.